So when I was in school, which wasn't that long ago, in high school, when I was in high school and middle school, there were six questions. Six questions that were always, always, always drilled into my head, especially when it came to reading and writing. Do you know what those six questions are? I bet you know what they are. Yep. Who, what, when, where, why, and how. Now, usually these questions are pretty simple to answer, right? They're simple questions. But sometimes these simple questions are the hardest to answer because they're so abstract. And a subject matter can be so large to digest everything and put it into a simple answer can be really difficult. But to really understand what's going on in a story, to understand what is happening, you need to be able to answer these six questions. Because if you can't answer these six questions, you can't understand what's actually happening. And as I was preparing my sermon this week, I started to think, what is the answer, what are the answers to these questions for the Bible? Because if we can't answer these questions for the Bible, do we really know what's going on? With the Bible. So we're going to just try answering them together really quickly. So, who is the Bible about? Well, I I think it's about God, His Son Jesus, and the rest of creation. That's a pretty simple answer, but that encompasses most of it. It's, It's about God, His Son, and the people He wants to save, and the creation He wants to restore. So, what is the Bible about? And I think you could answer this in a lot of different directions. Like I said, these simple questions can be really hard to answer sometimes, especially something as large as the Bible. But I think a good answer could be that the Bible is about God's creation, his intervention in his creation, and the plans for this world, on a basic level at least. I think that's what the Bible is about. When is the Bible set? Well, it starts at the beginning. And it goes until the life of Jesus, which was about 2,000 years ago. And then, where is the Bible set? Well, the Bible almost entirely takes place in the Middle East. Places like Egypt and Israel and Babylon, that eastern Mediterranean area. And then, in the New Testament, it kind of spreads to the southern Europe a little bit as the disciples go around and evangelize. So let's skip the why question for a second. How is the Bible written? Well, it's written by people who are inspired by God. And there's some debate and different ideas about how much God inspired. We took like a whole couple weeks in Bible college to talk about how inspired is the Bible. But we're not going to go into that discussion this morning. But I think every Christian, no matter what, believes that God is the driving force behind what is written in the Bible. Either he completely inspired it or it has some human intervention or whatever. Everybody believes, all Christians believe, that God is the driving force behind the Bible. And it's a collection of books. How is it written? It's a collection of books by different, different authors inspired by God. And now the last question is the hardest one to answer, I think. Why is the Bible? And that question doesn't even really make that much sense. Why is the Bible? And so I think if we ask more clarifying questions, it helps us. 
Why did God create this world? Why did God inspire people to write this book? Why did God choose a certain people to work through? Why does God choose to save us? These are really tricky questions. Why, why, why did God do all these things? And that's a kid's favorite question to ask, right? Why? Because we we are looking for meaning and reasons behind what is happening. And for such a large topic like the Bible and the infinite mind and being that is God, how do we even start to answer the question of why? It seems extremely difficult, but also seems so important, right? What could be more important than understanding why God is doing what he's doing in the world? Now, I know it seems really difficult to answer that question, but that's what we're going to try to do today. And it might not be a complete answer, but it's definitely going to get us heading in the right direction. So that's what we're going to be doing this morning, is trying to answer why. Why is God doing what he's doing in the world? If you would, please turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 20. Remember, we're still in our, in our series about the lessons from Ezekiel, which sounds super boring, but once again, I think it's super important because Ezekiel is jam-packed with so much good Bible stuff, so much good information about God. Ezekiel chapter 20. And we're going to go ahead and just read the first chunk of this chapter. And you're probably going to wonder, what in the world does what we just read have to do with trying to answer the question of why? But once we digest it a little bit and we take a step back and we see what's actually going to be said, it's going to start to make sense of how this helps us. So Ezekiel chapter 20, we're going to look at the first 14 verses. Don't try to fall asleep. Try not to fall asleep while I read these. But it's important for us to do, okay? I wouldn't be doing it if it wasn't important. Now in the seventh year, in the fifth month, on the tenth of the month, Certain of the elders of Israel came to inquire of the Lord and sat before me. So Ezekiel's talking in the first person here. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, speak to the elders of Israel and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Do you come to inquire of me? As I live, declares the Lord, I will not be inquired of by you. Will you judge them? Will you judge them, son of man? Make them know the abominations of their fathers. And say to them, thus says the Lord God, On the day when I chose Israel and swore to the descendants of the house of Jacob and made myself known to them in the land of Egypt, when I swore to them, saying, I am the Lord your God. On that day, I swore to them to bring them out of the land of Egypt into a land that I had selected for them, flowing with milk and honey, which is the glory of all lands. I said to them, cast away each of you the detestable things of his eyes and do not defile yourself with the idols of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. But they rebelled against me and were not willing to listen to me They did not cast away the detestable things of their eyes, nor did they forsake the idols of Egypt. Then I resolved to pour out my wrath on them to accomplish my anger against them in the midst of the land of Egypt. But I acted 
for the sake of my name. That it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations among whom they lived. In those sight, I made myself known to them by bringing them out of the land of Egypt. So I took them out of the land of Egypt and brought them into the wilderness. I gave them my statutes and informed them of my ordinances, by which if a man observes, he will live. Also, I gave them my Sabbaths to be a sign between me and them, that they may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. But the house of Israel rebelled against me in the wilderness. They did not walk in my statutes, and they rejected my ordinances, by which if a man observes them, he will live. And my Sabbath they greatly profaned. Then I resolved to pour out my wrath on them in the wilderness, to annihilate them. But I acted for the sake of my name, that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations, before whose sight I had brought them out. So let's take a step back for a second from what we just read. And let's try to figure out what led to this moment with Ezekiel telling the elders what God is saying. So first of all, God creates everything. We're going all the way back to the very beginning. God creates everything, and he creates people in a perfect world. And then the people mess up, and sin is introduced. And after a long time and many generations, God spoke to a man named Abraham, who faithfully followed God and committed his life to him. And from Abraham was the beginning of God's covenant with his chosen people. And now Abraham had a few sons, one of them being Isaac, and Isaac had a son named Jacob, and Jacob had a lot of sons, which led to the 12 tribes of Israel. And then for a few hundred years, Israel, the nation, God's people were in Egypt, and they were slaves. And that's when we get to the story of Moses, which was referenced here in Ezekiel chapter 20. And then Moses leads them out of the land of Egypt into the promised land, and then God establishes the nation of Israel, where Israel is supposed to follow God faithfully, but they mess up a lot. And eventually they're punished by that. They fall victim to their sin, and that's when they land themselves into exile, which is where they're at right now, when Ezekiel is speaking to the elders and God is speaking through Ezekiel that we just read from in chapter 20. Now, when we think over the history of the world and we we look at what is said here in Ezekiel chapter 20, and we make an observation of what is consistent through all of that, what's consistent through everything that's ever been done in history, recorded in Scripture, it's that God initiated it. It's that God started it. God created everything. He started by talking to Abraham, as we read in verse 5. And God swore, he made the promise to the house of Jacob, that he would be their God. And he promised that they were going to be his chosen people. And he was going to lead them out of Egypt, into the promised land. Nowhere in history of Scripture do people start the conversation. Nowhere do they start the promises. It's always God reaching out. It's always God making the promises. It's always God starting the plans. 
And now it's very important to the promises of God. God made this covenant with his people. And he says, I'm going to keep my end of the promise. And your end of the promise is that you follow me, that you keep my commandments, that you do what I ask you to do. But they rebelled against him. They didn't do that. That's what we just read in verse 8. He says, they rebelled against me and they were not willing to listen to me. Now, how would you have responded to Israel if you were God? You brought them out of Egypt. You gave them your commands. You fed them in the wilderness and they still didn't listen to you. They still didn't love you. If I was God, I would have followed through on what he said. I would have annihilated them. (laughs) I would have got rid and started, got rid of them and started fresh. You know, it's like when the power went out and all of our food went bad in our fridge, you just throw it all out and start over, right? This, that's what I would have done. But God is not like me. <laughs> God's not like me, and that's a good thing. Because instead of annihilating them, he kept his promise to them. And he kept his promise, Why? Why did God keep his promise to them? It's right there in verse 9 and verse 14. Look at it. Why did God keep his promise? You can tell me. Why did he do it? For the sake of his name. God dealt faithfully with his people, he kept his promises. To preserve who he is, his dignity, and the respect of his name. And as we continue to look at scripture today, we're going to see that God doesn't do anything for any other reason than to preserve his name, his reputation, and his glory. Look down at a few verses, to verse 21 and 22. But the children rebelled against me again. And they did not walk in my statutes, nor were they careful to observe my ordinances, by which if a man observes them, he will live. They profaned my Sabbaths. So I resolved to pour out my wrath on them, to accomplish my anger against them in the wilderness. He's about to destroy him. He wants to. But I withdrew my hand and acted for the sake of my name, so that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations and whose sight I had brought them out. So God's saying, listen, Everybody else saw that I saved Israel and I'm going to keep my promises so that everybody knows, the entire world knows that I am God. Look over to verse 41 of Ezekiel 20. As a soothing aroma, I will accept you when I bring you out from the people and gather you from the lands where you are scattered and I will prove myself holy. Among you in the sight of the nations. And you know that I am the Lord when I bring you into the land of Israel, into the land which I swore I promised to give to your forefathers. Then you will remember your ways and all your deeds which you have done to defile yourselves, and you will loathe yourselves in your own sight for all the evil things you have done. Then you will know that I am the Lord when I have dealt with you for my name's sake not according to your evil ways or according to your corrupt deeds O house of Israel declares the Lord God now if that did not make the point clearly enough that God's 
priority is his name. I'm going to turn over to Ezekiel chapter 36. You can go there with me if you want to. I'm going to read verses 20 through 23. Ezekiel 36. Verse 20. When they came to the nations where they went, they profaned my holy name because it was said to them, these are the people of the Lord, yet they have come out of his land. But I had concern for my holy name. I cared about my reputation. When the house of Israel had profaned among the nations where they went. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but it is for my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you went. I will vindicate my holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in the midst. Then the nations will know, they will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God. When I prove myself holy among you in their sight. Don't you see that God's number one priority, his number one reason for doing anything is his name and his holiness and his glory. This is what we read in Ezekiel, but it isn't just in Ezekiel. It's all over. It's overwhelming. It is the message of scripture why God does everything. I'm just going to take you on a quick survey here. So strap yourselves in, hold on to your seats. We're just going to fly through these, okay? Isaiah 48, 9 through 11. For my name's sake, I defer my anger for the sake of my praise. I restrain it for you, that I may not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. Ephesians 1, 4 through 6. He chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace. Isaiah 43, 6-7. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, who I created for my glory. Psalm 106, 7 through 8. Our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works, but rebelled by the sea and the Red Sea. Yet he saved them for his name's sake, that he might be known for his mighty power. John 7, 18. The one who speaks of his own authority seeks his own glory. This is Jesus speaking. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him, that's God, is true. And in him there is no falsehood. Matthew 5, 16. Once again, Jesus. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. John 14, 13. Whoever you ask in my, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Last one here, 1 Peter 4, 11. Whoever serves 
Let him do it as one who serves by the strength which God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And the list goes on. That's just a small survey of all of Scripture. After looking at these verses, what other conclusion can we come to except that God's glory is the reason why? The reason God created the universe, the reason that we are here in this church this morning, the reason that God saved us from sin, the reason that he sent his son to die, the reason he judges righteously, the reason we do good, the reason he led the Israelites through the desert is for his glory. Everything is for God's glory so that everyone on this earth knows what he's about and who he is. That is the reason why. So how does this affect your life? Well, anything I would say would be an understatement. But I'm going to try. Here are a few practical points of how I think this changes how you should think. Number one, it means that your salvation is not dependent on you. As much as we would like to think that we deserve or earn our salvation, we do not. Not even close. And it's only because of God's greatness and character that we are saved. And why are we saved? We are saved to bring him glory. We are saved to show his mercy to the world. Now, this might be a shift for you. It might, it might change how you think about your salvation. And it's definitely against salvation by works. And there's nothing we can do that's going to earn us our salvation. There's no good karma. There's no balance of scales that we can work to make sure it shifts in our favor. But this is not bad news. This is actually really, really good news. Because if salvation was based on us, we would fall short 100% of the time. Just look at Israel. They failed to meet their benchmark every single day. That's what the Old Testament is. Them failing to do what God asked them to do. And people don't change. We're the same as them. That's why we're saved by grace. It's not, we're, we are not dealt with according to our deeds and what we deserve. We're dealt with by who God is. Number two. This should make you ask yourself, do I glorify God in what I do? Does what I do glorify God? Because knowing that the end goal of all of our actions and all creation is to bring God glory, that should be our main focus, our main priority. The filter for which we see things. Am I doing this out of selfish motivation? Am I doing it out of my natural instinct? Am I doing it because someone's pressuring me to do it? Or am I doing this because it's going to bring God glory? Now, I think it's possible for us to do that. I truly do with the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I think we can live a life that brings God glory. And we're going to mess up. But with prayer and the power of the Spirit, we can live a life that brings God glory. We can bring God glory in the way that we live with each other, in the way that we deal with problems between people, and the way that we love the world. And the list goes on. It's an endless amount of options to do it. 
But the question doesn't change. Do I glorify God when I do this? And the last thing is, you got to realize, if everything's about God's glory, that the faith isn't about you. It, this is not about you. It's not about me. It's not about us. And we live in a country where we have fierce independence, right? Where independence is something that's honored and revered. I'm a self-made person. I can do things by myself. It's easy for us to think in this kind of culture that everything is about us. And human nature in general causes us to be self-centered. The person you hear from the most is yourself. You're always in your own head. It's, you see things only through your perspective. You only think that you exist at some point as a baby. You're the only thing that matters, right? We are just designed as humans to think for ourselves. But faith is not about us. God saved me from my sins is something that we hear often. Christianity has kind of lent itself towards the individual. God saved me. He helps me through my troubles. I want a relationship with God. I am blessed. I am free. God wants me to have good things. Those aren't bad because God is generous. He is good. He saves us. But that's not the center of our faith. The center of our faith is God and his glory. That is the primary focus of everything. And knowing that helps our purpose. Knowing that helps us focus our efforts. Knowing what we are doing helps us to better act in a way that glorifies God. So let that be the centerpiece of what we do here at North Kent. Let that be the focus. And let us discern through prayer and through study of scripture, what we can do that brings God glory. And I know it's not something we talk about all the time, but we should talk about it more often because it's literally the reason why God has done everything. To bring God honor and respect and to show the whole world who he is and how he loves us is our ultimate goal. Let's pray. God, I just truly desire that you move through us to bring you glory. That everything we do honors you and shows the world who you are because that's what you deserve. Let us do that, God. And it's in the Son's name that we pray. Amen.